everyone, Christian Pulisic here, out here in London, supporting my Jets. Let's go. America's, maybe better, America's football this edition on ESPN+. Plus. Hercules Gomez, Sebi Salazar with you. Uh, Herc, who knew Christian Pulisic, a, a Jets fan? A Jets fan? Wasn't he a Steelers fan? I thought he was like a known Steelers, but like many of the Jets fans, it's okay to root for another team. At least you get some sort of pleasure rooting for another team. Scored the uh, NFL in London, so a, a tough weekend then for Pulisic's Jets, a tough a weekend for his teammates with the national team as well. we got lots coming up here on the show. Taylor Twelman going to join us in just a little bit, not just to look back at what happened against Panama, but look ahead at what could happen against Costa Rica. Mauricio Pedrosa, your co-host on Ahora Nunca, going to join us as well to break down Mexico's huge win over Honduras, 3-0. In Major League Soccer, Phil Neville is raging mad. He says Inter-Miami are getting cheated. We're going to discuss his controversial They're comments. They're getting cheated? No! <laughs> exactly. The roles have reversed. Uh, and finally, the uh, playoff chase, Herc, in the National Women's Soccer League is heating up. All that, of course, available for you on the podcast. But let's start this show in Panama in Panama City, where, no doubt about it, you know about it by now, the United States lost 1-0 on Saturday. Greg Berhalter making seven changes from the lineup that beat Jamaica in Austin. Should note, three games in seven days, of course, for the U.S. Uh, this was the first on a lot of fronts, the first defeat of this qualifying cycle, the first ever defeat to Panama in World Cup qualifying, just the second defeat ever to the Panamanians. The uh, Americans first lost Herc since way back in May. They'd gone 13 matches unbeaten, going back to a match against Switzerland. But of course, uh, perhaps most importantly, Herc, it drops the U.S. out of first place in the CONCACAF qualifying table. Let's hear from the manager, Greg Berhalter, after the game. Now, it, it obviously doesn't look like the best choice, but I think we have to wait till Thursday because if we would have played the same players from the last game, First of all, two of them weren't even here, so that was going to be impossible. But if we would have played the same players um, in the same game, in this game, I'm not sure um, we would position ourselves in the best way to win again on, on Wednesday. We, you know, we know we're playing in extreme heat, extreme humidity. We know we travel four and a half hours, and we know that we have another game on Wednesday, and we wanted to rotate players. And, um, you know, if it didn't work, then it's on me and it's my responsibility or our responsibility as a staff. It wasn't through a lack of trying. I think it was a, a lack of, I don't know, but it wasn't a lack of trying. It, it was just we didn't have that 100% that today. And then the playing side of it needs to be better. You know, we were poor. We were really poor with our passing and some of our movement. Greg Berhalter then post-match defending some of his lineup choices. We'll get to that in just a second. The stats from this game are really bleak, Herc. I want to point out a couple stats, though, that were brought up on Twitter by our former colleague, Paul Carr, the stats guru. Uh, the five shots for the U.S., the fewest shots for the American side in their last 28 qualifying matches. you got to go back to 2013 away at Azteca for a worse output. The expected goals, by far the worst of Greg Berhalter's tenure in charge of the U.S. team. And, of course, with zero shots, on goal, Herc, uh, you're just generally not going to score. But the real person that was mad after this game was Hercules Gomez on Twitter, who said, Burhalter lost this game, can't wait for Football Americas tomorrow. So, Herc, uh, why was it Greg Burhalter, and why wasn't it the players who couldn't beat a Panamanian team that their, that their colleagues that their predecessors had never before lost to in there World Cup There it is, Sebi. Show me that arrogance. There it is. Uh, really quickly, you mentioned the zero shots on goal uh, mm -hmm. in 2013 World Cup qualifier versus Mexico. That was a historic point by the U.S. Men's National, by Jurgen Klinsmann uh, and your boy who was, who was there that day. So you got there something out of that at Azteca. Certainly a uh, much more crazy venue. Now, listen, uh, the Panamanian side, we have to, and I, I know you don't want to hear this, but give them credit. They've now, they've now gotten a result versus Canada at home, Mexico at home, and now beating the U.S. men's national team for the first time in World Cup qualifying history. So big credit to the Panamanian national team and what they're doing down there. Uh, but this is Greg Berhalter. You look at the amount of changes, seven changes, and I know, I know, it's six, seven days, three games. I know, I understand, rotation is vital. But seven players, mm. that's on him, and it's the players that he put out there. Player selection, 
is on him. Two very green outside backs, two center backs, which he said himself, part of the tactical plan was for these center backs, for Walker Zimmerman, and for Mark McKenzie to bypass their forwards with the ball. That means they have the ball feel good under pressure, bypassing them, and then be the outlet to the midfield, which then is the point of attack switch, which then is the wing progression to get the offensive nine and the weak side winger into the box as, is it, as if it's that easy, as if it's that easy for them to possess the ball. A team, a team, by the way, who's played 10 halves of football and only two have been good, and in none of them, was possession a key, possession important. So that's on Greg Berhalter, and he's right. He put all his eggs on this basket because he's looking past Panama. Here's the arrogance. Here's the part where you're looking past Panama. You're saying Costa Rica in Ohio is of more importance. Yeah. That's what you're saying. So the arrogance of bypassing that, looking past them, when you can't look past anybody. You look at other nations, other teams, this Panamanian site lost. They lost against El Salvador. They made two changes. Mexico, who on paper is the best team, and on the actual grass field has been the best team, they made two changes as well. You go ahead and make seven changes because you think what you got is by far better than what everybody else has. So if I want to add to the criticism of Greg Berhalter, if you want to find the reason for the loss at his feet, and we want to absolve the players of all guilt, as you on this show always— That's exactly um, what I said. Absolve yep. the players of all guilt. Yes, yes. it is. Yes. I, I, I will, I'll give you this. The, the halftime adjustments didn't seem to exist. The subs didn't really make a difference either, right? No. Um, he brings on the, the kind of difference-making subs you're supposed to have. Yeah. Yedlin— Pepe, Roldan, at that moment of the game when you needed a change, those guys didn't deliver. So I think you can look at it and say Greg Berhalter missed not just on the lineup, uh, on his subs, and on whatever tactics were supposed to change, because I didn't see much of a difference from the first half to the second for this American side. However, Herc, you cannot tell me that player for player, this U.S. team is not a lot better than their Panamanian counterparts. Can we go over this Panama roster? They got zero guys, Herc, zero guys. You want to talk about arrogance? Let's just talk about rosters. Zero players in top five leagues. Here are the leagues that, the, that these players play in. Bolivia, Venezuela, Slovakia, Japan, Israel, Peru. They got four guys in the Spanish second division, Herc. The U.S., for all the guys that weren't in there, have two guys uh -huh. in that starting lineup on Sunday night that are in top five leagues. And you got seven guys who have not star MLS well, why players. Why didn't they score are, 10 goals on them then? That's very crazy. Good That's why I'm asking you. So are, are the American players overrated? Or is Major League Soccer where seven of these 11 American players what's play the, What's the World overrated? Cup experience for those subpar players you're talking about in Panama? You're talking about this arrogance. I don't care who you are. You don't steamroll other teams. You don't steamroll other nations. That doesn't happen with the best team in, in CONCACAF right now, Mexico. They're having their own issues. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned La Liga 2. Players? So Panama's a better you team is on the same level as the United States then is what you're saying. My man, I just sat here and spat facts to you. They played Mexico, got a result. They played Canada at home, got a result. Got Why a should result this... at home the time. Oh, oh my god. Wait a second. Seb, they're playing against their best. Now you throw out a second-rate, third-rate team from the U.S. Men's National Team, and the U.S. Men's National Team, because their players play in better leagues, are supposed to route these. That's not how it works, Seb. You want to talk about World Cup experience? Where was it? You want to talk about this team? You want to talk Greg Berhalter and those moves? You said he's... I, I don't want to put words in your mouth because that's not my game. That's yours. So are the players okay? are the players better? Are the players overrated, Herc? That's what you're saying here. You're saying America's players are not good enough to go into a, in Panama, even the B team, and win. That's what, what you're what saying. What happened last night? That It's that easy where on talent alone they can beat these teams if they're not disciplined, if the tactics start there, if the execution aren't, isn't there, if the, if the game plan isn't right, they can just go in off of talent alone and steamroll these teams. Four years ago to the day, to the day, was Trinidad and Tobago. Was that mm -hmm. game. Okay, who was more talented on paper, Seb? Yeah, of course, it was Trinidad C team. What happened? The U.S. lost. Okay. So are you blaming that on the fact that these guys were playing in MLS too? Because a lot of that team was playing in MLS. Uh, well, if you want to go to MLS so or not, is seven it, players uh, yeah, from I'm Major League you, Soccer. I'm asking you because you, because you say okay. the players aren't good enough. Are, is, are, these, are you telling me Sebastian Legette isn't, isn't better than his Those counterpart in the Panamanian midfield? I never said they weren't good enough. What I'm trying to tell you is these players on that day with this tactile game plan and together mm -hmm. weren't good enough. It's right. very easy to say paper here, paper there, they should beat each other. That's not the way the game works. Yeah, it's easy it's easy to say disrespect Herc. I think it's I think it's you're more it's a calculation. And it's the correct calculation if everything that you say on this show is true, which is that you have to win at home. 
dropping a point in Panama hurts you a lot less than dropping two points in Columbus against Costa Rica. My you can man. say it's an overcalculation by it's making a, it's seven an, changes. It's an overcalculation, and you're putting all your eggs in one basket because he's trying to play catch-up. What happens is you paper over cracks with what Canada, what happened in Canada, in, in Nashville, and what happened in Honduras. So you're, you're covering over mistakes. You're glaring over mistakes. You're saying this didn't happen or this isn't that important, when in reality it is. All right. We'll leave that for there then. Uh, Daniel Farkett, interesting comments from the Norwich City manager, okay? Uh, because we did mention that there were seven of the 11 starters last night in MLS. Of course, Josh Sargent plays for him, not called up. Daniel Farkas says, as far as I'm aware, it was due to the wish of the U.S. team that they wanted to focus for these games on players who play in the USA and their league. Now, Herc, some people will say this and scream, this is proof of our conspiracy theories. Major League Soccer influencing the roster. What do you make of it? It's very difficult to actually make something of this because he, he says, as far as I'm concerned, so he's not acknowledging that he spoke to somebody. He's not acknowledging that he himself spoke to Greg Verhalter or somebody of the U.S. men's national team or the Federation, and this is why Josh Sargent isn't going. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, I will say this. I, I don't know how much validity we can put into this, but there is this U.S. men's national team, Major League Soccer, divide by these fans. So a lot of fans who see Major League Soccer as a polarizing entity, who see Major League Soccer players as a weak link within the U.S. men's national team. I don't buy into that, but Greg Berhalter and these players getting these results in this circumstantial way is feeding this narrative. And it's not a good thing to have this type of divide. Maybe the only national team in the world where there is this... Uh, what's the word to say? Where is this, this, this spite of the domestic league uh, with its players? Hmm. I think Farkas is just backing Sargent here. He just doesn't want to say that it's because he's dropped out of form. That's why he's not called in, so he's kind of providing another excuse. If I'm a U.S. fan or a Sargent fan, I kind of like it. Your manager's backing your guy. The other point is, if you had called in Josh Sargent, you're probably only getting him for, what, two of the three games? I mean, if we look at the examples of Anthony Robinson, if we look at the example of Zach Steffen, they don't make the trip to Panama. Right. It is on the U.K. red list. So Josh Sargent, had he scored in those first three games, you bet they would have called him in, even if he's only available for two it's, of the it's three. Funny. He didn't score. That tiebreaker's held against fair, him. Fair enough, but Tata Martino got Raul Jimenez for, for all three games and even with red list countries. So make that, take it for what it's worth. Okay. All right, uh, let's bring in Taylor Twelman then. He uh, joins us to discuss uh, more of the fallout from the United States' uh, one nothing defeat against Panama in Panama City. Uh, Taylor, you just had to listen to us prattle on there for a little while. Who do you think is more to blame, the uh -huh. manager or the players? <laughs> Uh, you two are the best. I absolutely love this show every single time I'm on it. Honestly, Greg Berhalter said it's on him, right? Greg said it's on him and his staff, and so he answers the question for us. And so he raises his hand, he takes accountability, and says it is on him. I completely agree with Herc and you, Seb, in the sense that if you look at what Germany did, if you look at what the Netherlands did against lesser opponents— they rotated maybe three players, mm. not seven. Mm -hmm. And so you're over-calculating and you're overthinking this three days of travel and high heat and whatever. This is World Cup qualifying. You have to get as many points as you can get as quickly as possible, no matter who's in front of you. And so for me, there's a way over-calculation about the travel and the humidity and the heat, which, by the way, for the record, if you are going to make seven Seven changes in that kind of weather it behooves you to use major league soccer players that have been playing in that weather for the last four months so how those players showed up and laid an egg with no energy no enthusiasm nothing whatsoever is beyond me but this is on the manager because in my opinion the rest of the world is still treating every single opponent the same way by rotating the squad with two or three players, not an overhaul of seven players against a team that Mexico struggled playing down there, as you said, Herc. Any team that's played Panama and Panama has struggled. So the proof is in the pudding. You've seen it. Panama is a better team than they have been in years past, quite honestly, than when we've gone down there, Herc, myself, and the generation ahead of us that went down there and got results. And so I, I just think there was way too much overthinking in this. And uh, they undercalculated how good Panama is at home home and they're overthinking this way too much at times about fitness and about travel and all this when the rest of the world is doing similar types of things now in saying that Seb I'm with you in this extent 
the players have some accountability, my word. Like, the, the, it's one thing to talk about tactics and, and technique. And Herc tweeted this, and he's 100% right about arrogance. But the first thing you got to have, the first thing you got to have is energy. You've got to have the ability to run, compete, and fight. If you don't even have that, I can't even talk about the other stuff because you're not providing this simple fundamental thing, which is run through a wall and play for your country, which they got none of that last night. And four years ago, the United States lost to Trinidad and Tobago. This was almost an identical performance that made everyone want to puke mm. because you didn't get the compete factor first. Talk about tactics later, but give me the compete and give me the fight, and then we'll worry about whether or not you can pass the ball. But if you're not going to run, what's the point of showing up? Yeah, let me run something by you real quick, because I've heard this narrative about running, about trying, about intensity, and that's all, that's all good. It, it looks good from afar. But have you ever been, Taylor, have you ever been in an environment where your legs feel weak, where all of a sudden the opponent is on top of you, where you see the crowd and you're like, I don't see this mm -hmm. week in, week out, and then the goal comes in and you feel like the world is coming down on you. I saw that from these players. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about trying, we can talk about competing, we can talk about intensity, we can talk about desire, all that stuff, but if you've never been there, done that, that seems that's something to be said there. Okay. okay. No, the experience is a real thing, Herc. The experience is a real thing. It's a great point. It's a real thing. Uh, one of the things that came out of the first match was how everybody was in love with this new young midfield, the midfield trio that, that Greg Berhalter uses uh, in mm -hmm. Austin against Jamaica, right? Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa. Uh, obviously, there's some limitations there, right? Tyler Adams, he's told us, Greg Berhalter, that he's got to watch those minutes. He hasn't been playing with Leipzig 90 minutes a game. He's not going to risk him here. Uh, Weston mm -hmm. McKinney, we know, wasn't available for this match. Eunice Musa's back in, um, but you have a couple different players in there as well. Sebastian Legette. Kellen Acosta and I think I mean it's a cliche Taylor but it really feels like this game is lost in midfield what do we make of, of kind of the different levels of play that we see three days apart from a midfield trio that while is different still has one guy in it that's the same and that's Yunus Musa. Yeah, what's concerning for me, Herc and Seb, is this, is that there really is only one six on this roster, and that's Tyler Adams. And the moment you take Tyler Adams out of the middle, everything looks discombobulated, everything looks unhinged, and it doesn't feel comfortable within the system. Yes, he came off the bench in this one, but there was energy immediately to the game. Everyone had a little bit more pep in their step, whatever it may be. There was few more options to pass the ball through the midfield and whatnot. I think Weston McKinney at times plays as if he wants to run the show as if he's the guy that can run the show. I don't think he's that type of player, and I think he needs to transform more to the guy that we saw at Schalke. And so I understand the area of concern, and I get it. But I'm still, and I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but they're not creating a ton of chances. The final product isn't there all the time. And I know Greg Berhalter and his staff love the model of expected goals, but when you look at the last 13 games that I'm beating, it's not as if they're, they're creating two, three, four expected goals every single game. And so chances are extremely limited for this team. So no matter what it is, and I understand if Tyler Adams is healthy, the midfield's less of a concern for me. But regarding Ricardo Pepe up front or not, this team still struggles to score goals. And Herc, I don't know if you've seen the same thing I have, yet why can they not score goals in the first half and then have to react, change things, and come out in the second yeah. half that, in a nutshell, is a problem. Yeah, that's, and Sebi was alluding to that you know, earlier on in the segment where you talk about he got things right at halftime. His adjustments were correct, and they weren't this go-around. That still begs the question, why are you starting that way? Now, we, mm -hmm. we talk about Greg Berhalter and the style he wants to implement, mm -hmm. and Taylor, you're right. He loves these expected goals. He's very much, excuse the term, a, a, a stat nerd when it comes to that, a, a PowerPoint nerd. But football isn't played that way. Football isn't played with numbers. It's played with feeling. It's played with instincts. And this is the problem. We talk about him being a possession-based coach, this team being a possession-based team, for 10 halves, they've not been that. They've had two good halves, eight very bad no. halves. And you look at the outside backs, to me, very important because when those outside backs have been good and taking care of the ball, it gets the center of the midfield going. It gets Tyler Adams. It gets Weston McKinney. It gets whoever's in there, yep. Eunice Musa, whoever's in there, involved, which gets Serginho Dest, Anthony Robinson. When those fullbacks are good, when they take care of the ball, the team has confidence. When they don't, they rely on their center backs to come mm -hmm. out with it, and it's root one and it's very, very ugly. It feels a lot of the times like there's home run swings on these lineups, right? And, and sometimes it hits, uh, sometimes yeah. it doesn't. And, and, yeah. and I don't know if those risks are necessary, but I assume Greg Berhalter knows the depth of his, of his talent pool better than we do. Let me ask this. 
Um, before we move on from the Panama game, real quick, Panama in this match was concacafing it to to an extreme almost. Uh, there's a point where yeah. you can have you can have the you know the stretchers come out as much as you want. Um, but there's there's a difference to me, like another line that's crossed when folks are running onto the field at, at very convenient moments and balls are coming in at very convenient <laughs> moments. You guys have lived through all the shenanigans of CONCACAF, and I know we accept gamesmanship <laughs> to a point in this region. Um, did it cross a line into cheating, Taylor, last night? Well, I mean, what do we expect from CONCACAF guys? We're doing a World Cup qualifying round without VAR. And so you guys obviously heard me during the first half of Jamaica absolutely blow a gasket on this. It's mind-boggling to me. And yet you literally had fans running onto the field in Panama City asking for selfies. There was three balls on the field at one point. Like, like at what point is CONCACAF going to look at itself and say, you know what, fine. But I remind everyone watching this show, in 2017, Panama qualified for the World Cup on a goal that never went in. Yeah. A goal that never yeah. went in. Yeah, yeah. Blas Perez headed it. It went outside the net, came back in. It was out of bounds. and went in, and they gave it a goal. And because of no VAR, they're like, it's good. Enjoy Russia. I don't know what to do. Honestly, Herc, expect the unexpected when it comes to CONCACAF is the way I look at it. But you're right. That's the way it's always been, and that's the way it will be. And the only way it's going to change is if you implement things like VAR. And I understand most stadiums aren't set up to be equipped with VAR, but those who have it should be allowed to use it. It's very simple to me. And CONCACAF, it's known for the dark arts. It's known for stretching its rules. Probably more than that hat that Taylor's wearing is being stretched. It's the way it is. Taylor, uh, you'll be in Columbus for the game against Costa Rica. Let's look forward to that match uh, for just a second. All right, so you got Greg Berhalter's ear. You can, you can tell him one player that he's got to yep. put back into the starting lineup for this game, Columbus, oh, this against this Costa Rica. Based on what you said, I, I think we know who it's going to be, but, but who is it? It's Tyler Adams. I'm not moving him. I'm not. The fact that he started the first half at right back against Honduras was mind-boggling to me. There's no, you do not have anyone behind that. When Herc was on his way out at the end of his career with the national team, Herc, you had Jermaine Jones, you had Michael Bradley, you had Kyle Beckerman. Even in the 2014 World Cup, we saw Jeff Cameron start as a six against Belgium. There's no depth at this position. Anyone that wants to throw Kellen Acosta to me, I'm going to throw him right back at you. It's not the same. Tyler Adams is your captain. He's your heartbeat. He's the one that can clean up a lot of fires. He is the other one that can actually technically, as Herc often says, can get you into things. Tactically, he's astute. He's your one. He's literally every single time I'm right in my 11. He's Tyler Adams goes first. I'll figure mm. everything else, but Tyler Adams is in the middle of the park, and I'm not moving him. Yeah. It's hard to argue with Tyler Adams. I mean, he's such a good player. He's such an important player to the team. You said the heartbeat. It'd be very hard to disagree with that. But I'm going to for this split instance, for this split uh, second here. It's Brendan Aronson, man. I, I mean, there, there is no more productive player mm -hmm. for the U.S. men's national team today than Brendan Aronson. We want to talk about Ricardo Pepe. Brendan Aronson does everything. And it's not one game, two games he's been doing it. This man has started, he's played, I should say, 12 games. He's got five goals, four assists. He just seems apt for the moment. And, Taylor, you've played with players like this. Players that in the moment do what they're supposed to do. You shoot, they should shoot. They shoot. They should pass. They pass. If it sets you up for the assist and the goal, yep. that's what they will do. That's what this man is. Uh, I've heard out there reference the American Kaká. It's very, it's, 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 it's funny <laughs> to think about it. But we love throwing out these names. But think about this. His play. I mean, he can dribble. He can possess. He has vision. He can finish on you. Certainly four or five notches down. But this I'm man can do it all. Okay. Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson are Herc, two. I love him. I love him, can too. I can I throw in a, Ricardo Pepe? I mean, this is a kid who scored, yeah, right? Yeah. He's one of those, yeah. like, and he's, I think, I think we all agree, you guys are the forwards, but he's the type of forward when you give him 90 or 60 or 70, at least more than 30, that's when he's going to score, right? He needs to be on the field so that when those chances come, but, but, he gets more of them. But, Seb, that's, that's where I'm so mind-boggled after, like, you have to start him against Panama. Yeah. You know this better than yeah. anyone. When you're on a hot streak, you don't move. You, you, no, 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 no. You, you ride, you ride, you just keep going. Just go. Do whatever. If your legs fall off, we get it, dude. <laughs> Do you we know what the it. problem like, is? Don't you know what the problem out. is, Taylor? So now, 
Uh, apologies. I was just saying, yes. the, the problem here is, and you've experienced this, I mean, we've had coaches who don't coddle you. These players are being coddled. We talk about we need to rotate them. We need to protect these players and their health, protect them in the legs. Uh, yeah. Raul Jimenez had a near-death experience. 11 months later, he's finally back with the national team, played 90 minutes at Wolves, 90 minutes versus Canada, 67 minutes versus Honduras. Out of a possible 270 minutes, he's going to play 200. He's already played 247 minutes, may start the next game. And we want to coddle these kids, these 20-year-old kids, these 21-year-old kids, and say, it's protect World Cup your legs. Qualifying, man. Yeah. What are we doing? What so are we doing? We want to steer your line. Where have I heard <laughs> that before? Exactly. All right, so one last question here, guys. Uh, last time around, for the, for the final, of the, the last of the three games against Honduras, Taylor, we actually had you on right before that trip. And we asked, you know, is Greg Berhalter, does mm -hmm. he need, is it a must win? Does he need this win to, to keep his job or at least keep the pressure uh, off? So let's look at it now. We're coming up on the, on the third game. Uh, is this a must win? So can Greg Berhalter, with Mexico looming in the next World Cup qualifier, can he afford drop points at home against, uh, in Columbus against Costa Rica? <sighs> Uh, I mean, can he afford it? Yeah, because nothing's going to happen to, to Greg Berhalter because of the way Ernie Stewart, Brian McBride, and, and that whole organization looks at what they're trying to do. And yet, because of the way you handled Panama, I would answer the question no, because you've literally told everyone on the outside that, listen, I'm going to make seven changes because the game Wednesday night in Columbus is a must win and we have to have three points. So to directly answer your question, Seb, the answer is no. Will he get fired if he drops points? That answer is no. But in my opinion, because of the way the Panama situation was handled, now you've set it up and said, guess what? Costa Rica at home is a must win game. So no, you can't can't afford to lose points. This is this is why you have to treat every game individually and play what's in front of you. Because if you try to get calculated, if you try to put all your eggs in one basket, you're telling the public, you're telling the pundits, you're telling your team, this game isn't as yeah. important as this game. Now, if you drop points versus Costa Rica in Ohio, that's two of the three home games that you've dropped points in. Heading into what is arguably your hardest game, Mexico at home, and then Jamaica away, where you've only won yep. once since 1998, then there's a two-month layoff, mm. and you're at the halfway point. Could you imagine if they're not above that red line come that halfway point? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, the one thing you don't want about a must win, you might want a must win to be at home. You don't really want it at home against Costa Rica, right? Given the history, given the last time around, no, given the fact that they're coming off a players. win, <laughs> given the fact they got the best goalie in the region, you know it's going to be hard to break down no matter how well you play. I mean, this, is a, this would make me very nervous. Yep. The one thing you would say, no Joel Campbell, um, that's a big loss for Costa Rica. Always has been a player that um, seems to give the U.S. problems. All right, Taylor, so yep. I'll see you in Columbus. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here on Football America. Again, it'll be the, uh, the United States against Costa Rica on Wednesday <laughs> in Columbus. There that it is. A snap. You can <laughs> Give that melon a break. <laughs> Herc, there's only two. There's only two circles. There's only I echo the opposite way. I only have two circles keeping do. mine together. So those boys are holding on for dear life. How about that? Uh, Taylor Twelman. He'll be on the call with John Champion. The coverage starts 6:30 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. Game on ESPN2, but also uh, streaming here on ESPN Plus. Make sure to check it out, and we'll have some pregame coverage for you as well from Columbus. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Herc, 2-3, Mexico, turning on the style. After dropping points at home last week against Canada, they beat Honduras 3-0 at Azteca, making uh, three changes. Tata Martino from the team against Canada, Hector Moreno, uh, Chaka Rodriguez, and Sebastián Córdoba into the lineup. It was actually Córdoba who got the goal scoring started for Mexico in the 18th minute. It was 1-0 into the second half. Honduras saw Minor Figueroa sent off a straight red for a tackle on Raul Jimenez, 
It would take about 25 minutes, but eventually Mexico broke through for a second and third. Funes Mori in the 76, Chucky in the 86. Mexico now on top of the CONCACAF table. Here's some post-game reaction. Bueno, eh, a veces la, la, la respuesta de la gente es una extensión de, de lo que la gente recibe. Y, la, y lo que la gente recibe eh, permanentemente es... Este, eh, se plantea siempre una disputa y la verdad es que para nosotros lejos de ser una disputa es la posibilidad de contar, de contar con, con hoy por los jugadores que están citados con tres centrodelanteros de muy buen nivel como Raúl que es nuestro centrodelantero como Rogelio y, y, como, y como Henry eh, con él lo hemos hablado mucho, ni bien llegó a la selección y, y sabemos que, que es una situación que no se va a terminar nunca. Despite the result, Herc, then some maboos heard at Azteca last night, perhaps with the national team, perhaps also as well for Rogelio uh, Funes Mori when he came into the match. Uh, Mexico fans, Herc, been waiting for a breakthrough during this qualifying campaign. On the score sheet, this says breakthrough, 3 nothing at home against Honduras. Was it truly a breakthrough? No, I mean, they won. I don't know if they, there's the three Gs. Golear, gustear, gustar y ganar. They did two of them. No, I don't, gustaron. I don't, they, no, they, gustaron. No, they, 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 didn't, didn't, they didn't satisfy. They didn't right. please. They didn't please, but please. the scoreline was there, and it's the first time in a long time that it's been there. And, and for, forgive me if you've heard this before. Minor Figueroa, red card. Ill-advised red card is what it was. <laughs> Till that moment, it was actually pretty close. It was, was it by a red no card means. for you? Was it a straight red for you? Uh, I was a little bit surprised when he pulled out the red, I'll be honest. Yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised because of the distance, if you want to go Doxo, yep. but the Scissor yeah. motion puts the opponent in danger, so you could easily make a case for that there. But with no VAR, take him at his word. Take the referee right. for his word, so I've got no issue there. Uh, but when you look at the overall play, this was definitely a team that came to life after the red card. Came to life uh, once Not even, were... really. About 20 wow. minutes after the red card. You wouldn't have known Andres was down a man. Fair, fair, but but they came to life. They came to life uh, once that second goal came in. And you can say whatever you want, circumstantial, about the goals that went in, whether it was Cordovas or whether it was Funes Mori. They did what they needed to do, and in no, in no moment were they ever really threatened. I never felt like Mexico was threatened by Honduras. So uh, that that's a plus for them going forward. And it's also, don't take for granted how Mexico has struggled to really put together wins at home and take advantage and, and really dominate um, in El Estadio Azteca. We had this conversation earlier, so... By those measures, it was a dominant performance for them. You're right. On the last episode of this show, we literally asked, had Azteca lost yeah. its fear factor? Had it lost its weight? I don't know that that's why Honduras loses this game, because well, of fear factor I will weight. tell you really quickly. Can I just tell you why they lost this game? Maybe, maybe it influences the referee. I'll tell you that much. Could, could. But you know what influences the game more? No Romel Kioto, Albert Ellis on the bench, Andy Najar on the bench, Hernandez on the bench. It's like they phoned it in. They're saying this game is going to be a little too tough for us. A la U.S. men's national team in Panama. The word here is breakthrough, right? So, like, individually, I think you could point and say there were some breakthroughs. Chucky Lozano was desperate for a goal, and he finally gets it, a beautiful one at the end. I think you could, you could say that's a breakthrough. I think you could say Funes Mori scoring again is a breakthrough. He, he needed that goal uh, alongside the boos and the pressure and the obvious fact that he's second in line now behind Raul Jimenez. I think Cordova scoring is a, is a big deal. This is a yeah. player who, when we talk about him breaking into the lineup, he needs good performances. I don't you know. We'll discuss how good his performance was, but but a goal goes a long way in how people feel you played on the impact that you had on a game. So I think you can look at it individually and say, yeah, there were some breakthroughs here, but collectively, Herc, no way was this no. a breakthrough for me. No way no, was this a breakthrough. This was the same old Mexico that we've seen the entire qualifiers, that we saw in the Gold Cup, that we saw in the Nations League. Dominant on the ball, but unable to capitalize. They were not contundentes. They're not they clinical three in front goals. of goals. How are they contundente? 25 minutes after Honduras had yeah, a man what do you sent want off to score? Like home. every single minute of every... Like, okay. I want it to be 3-0 at the half as it should have been. Why should it... it, it you're going to... Let, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you real quick. Let me tell you real quickly why it's a breakthrough, and I think this is valuable. You mentioned Chucky Lozano. Irving Lozano, his last goal before last night, came the 29th of May, which happens to be a uh, wedding anniversary, 29th of May of this year in a friendly against Iceland. Before before that, Seb, before that, that's 16 games ago. Before that, in a competitive match, 2000, 
2019, October 2019, in a win, a 5-0 win like you're talking about versus Bermuda. So maybe this is a breakthrough in you're getting certain players going. Chucky Lozano, Raul Jimenez, Funes Mori, Tecatito, who looked the best he's looked in a long time. Maybe it's a breakthrough because of those performances. All I would say is if there's not that red card, I don't think Mexico wins by more than a goal. I think it's another suffered kind of dramatic win at Azteca. Maybe they hold on. Maybe Honduras nicks something late. But that, to me, would be a breakthrough. When you put a game away early instead of waiting until 76 minute when the other team's been playing with 10 for 25 minutes. We're playing with now three here on Football Americas. Let's welcome in Mauricio Pedrosa. He was on the show with us last week. Of course, your co-host uh, on Ahora Nunca throughout the week on ESPN Deportes. Now, uh, welcome to the show. Let's get going right here into uh, El Three Questions because we got three questions to get to. And of course, it revolves around the starting forward position. These are not opinions. These are just stats from the last two games, okay? Raul Jimenez, 157 minutes, zero goals. Rogelio Funes Mori, 23 mm -hmm. minutes, one goal, plus mm -hmm. a few boos at the Azteca. So who starts, Mao against El Salvador on Wednesday night? Raul Jimenez, Raul Jimenez, and I'm really glad you brought up those statistics. And if the soccer would be a game only based on statistics, then I don't know what the hell are we doing here giving our opinion, right? Uh, but I can only tell, I can only go from what I saw. And I'll, I'll give you three reasons why I firmly believe Raul Jimenez has to start. Number one, he's a better player than Rogelio Funes Mori. And you start the best players, especially in tough games like Mexico is going to face at El Salvador. Number two, Raul Jimenez is not only a better player, he's a better fit for Tata Martino's tactics, for his system. And that was very clear and obvious. I'm, I'm trying to find, and I'm gonna ask Sebi for your help. Uh, mm -hmm. I, wanna, I want the stats on how many touches he had in this past two games. I want your stats on how many great passes he gave yeah. on those two games, specifically in the game against Honduras. If Chucky Lozano would have mm -hmm. been a clinical finisher, then this conversation is different. And number three, Raul Jimenez has been there before. He knows what a game like that's going to look like. And Mexico needs him. It, it would be very hard for someone like Rogelio Funes Mori, without that kind of experience, to start the game at El Salvador and then trying to give a good game. I think those three reasons are heavy enough for Tata Martino to start Raul Jimenez. Yeah, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but I, I would start Rogelio Funes Mori, and I will, I will tell you why. And I know Seb's going to jump all over this, but... Sometimes you need to protect the football, you need to protect the player from himself, okay? He, he almost experienced a near-death incident about a year ago. He hasn't been playing regularly as of late and also hasn't coupled in these transatlantic trans flights from uh, England over to this side of the world to play 90 minutes October 2nd with Wolves, 90 minutes October 7th with L3, 67 minutes last night, and then to start another one. You're asking him, out of, he's already played 247 minutes out of 270, you're asking him to go four starts in 11 days, a lot of travel, different conditions. I think sometimes we need to protect the players from themselves. And Raul, in this instance, with these circumstances of just getting back into the swing of things, I need maybe needs that protection from himself. Yeah, I don't know about that, man. Come on. I mean, he's been playing every week for Wolves. Yeah. If, he's, if he's good to be called in, Four you, starts, you got 11 days, yeah. and he just Please. started playing we just, soccer again we just, had a, we just had a huge conversation. I just said I'm going to get myself in trouble, and Seb's going to jump all over this. Yep. And you I did. literally walked you, you in. I literally you walked did. you in, Seb. But I think <laughs> there are circumstances, and Raul Jimenez, I agree with that. With, with Seb, oh, really quick, Mal. I, I agree with what Mal's saying. He's a playmaker, and if, Ch if Chucky Lozano would have been uh, more refined in his finishing, uh, we'd be Raul Jimenez all day, and you don't have, we don't, well, this isn't even a discussion, but I think right now you need to protect them. Now, um, I wanted to add one more thing to what just said. The original plan of the Mexican national team was for Raul Jimenez and Chucky Lozano to play 180 minutes at Estadio Azteca and then travel back to join their teams for the same reasons that you just said. I yeah. agree with that, but the fact that they only tie against yeah. Canada, then in Tata Martino's head is we need to win against El Salvador to have a more, I don't want to say relaxed, but at least an easier path for the rest of the way. So that, and if you're actually make Raul travel to El Salvador, then you have to start him. Yep. You're not going to make yep. him take that travel just yep. to sit him on the bench. It's strange that a coach would want to win the game in front of him. 
<laughs> All right, let's leave the forwards there for now. Let's move to midfield uh, because one of the big, or I think not big, but kind of surprise decisions is Sebastián Córdoba gets into the lineup uh, in this match. Of course, he replaces Andrés Guardado. Mauricio, how did you think Córdoba played beyond the goal and did he earn another start, which we know, of course, would probably mean, not guaranteed, but would probably mean that Andrés Guardado stays on the bench? Uh, I like Sebastián Córdoba, and I think the goal is a big factor, but not just, just because of the score. But here's the reason why. Sebastián Córdoba was actually inside the box constantly. You cannot ask for, for exactly that from Andrés Guardado. He's no longer a box-to-box -box player. Sebastián Guardado is. Andrés Guardado looks so much better. And I don't want to get too, too technical in this, but when a team like Betis plays 4-2-3-1, Andrés Guardado being one of those two holding midfielders, he can be great. And he can give you 65, 70 great minutes. But at a 4-3-3, you're demanding too much effort for a guy at 35 years old who's coming off a couple of bad injuries. Sebastián uh, Córdoba is the complete opposite. He can give you that. And that's the reason why he scored, because he's in the box constantly, something that Andrés Guardado cannot do anymore. Yeah, nobody's going to argue about Guardado's legacy. Top five, you know, Mexican player, top five career, uh, both national team and European pedigree, all that. Nobody's going to argue that. But at this point in his career, 35 years of age, as Mao just pointed out, Córdoba offers something he can't, and it offers assurance to guys like Edson Álvarez and Héctor Herrera. Now you have the confidence when you look over and saying, I can take this chance. I can go because I know even if I don't get there, this guy has the athleticism to back me up and help me out. So you play a certain way because of that. His presence alone, I agree with Seb with what you're saying. Maybe he didn't have the best game in terms of overall play, but what Mao's saying is absolutely right. He was getting box to box and he was inside the box to be ready for that opportunity and put his chance away. I would stick with Cordoba. I think sooner or later you have to move on. You have to have that generational shift, and he's the man. If you don't want to start Guardado, that's fine. You can make that point. I don't think Cordoba was exceptional in this game. Right? I think it was pretty quiet outside the goal. But to Mao's point, like, okay, you're going to need Cordoba for games where it's a 4-3-3. You need more, you need more mo mobility in that yeah. midfield, okay? Is the next game necessarily that? Is the El Salvador game that? For me, Andres Guardado's best performance in this, you know, in these five games that we've seen so far is away yeah. against Costa Rica, a team where you need skill, not necessarily athleticism against. If you don't want to start Guardado against U.S., if you don't want to start Guardado yeah, against yeah. Canada, that makes sense. But for me, the one game you might start Andres Guardado in is in El Salvador when Re you want to ping, you want to ping my the memory. ball around midfield. Wait, one of you guys refresh my memory, that great game he played against Costa Rica. Um, did he start? Yeah, he starts the game. No, he comes off the no, bench. No, he comes he, off the bench. He comes off the bench the like he also did against Panama, who was also one of his better games coming Correct. off the bench. And, that's, and, 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 and I think the point yeah. is very clear. Listen, the, the tactics, Sebi, your tactics are correct. It's not going to be the same game at Estadio Azteca versus Honduras as playing at El Salvador, uh, at El Cuscatlan. The, the, your tactics are right. The problem is Tata Martino's not going to change. He's not going to listen to Sebastián Salazar and go, <laughs> Seb, he's right. I have to change. He's going to stick to his 4-3-3, trying to control possession and create a lot of opportunities. And keeping possession means having a lot of dynamics, something that Andrés Guardado doesn't really have right now. All right, final question then here on three questions on Football Américas. Uh, let's go big picture. Because you mentioned something off the top, Mauricio, about the Cuscatlan and how difficult it would be uh, for Mexico to go away and, and get a result here. There is, of course, the World Cup qualifier in 2009, a very bad qualifying campaign, at least early on for Mexico, uh, where they do lose in El Salvador 2-1. to one. However, there's not like a whole history of Mexico just being terrible in El Salvador. Why is the Cuscatlan this, 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 this myth, this, this difficult thing for Mexico? Is it really their toughest game? Uh, it's not the toughest game. It's probably the toughest environment atmosphere for opposing teams, and that obviously includes Mexico, and I would say especially for Mexico, and, and, and the rivalry is real. But in terms of how the crowd, the fans, put pressure on the players, I think that has changed with the fact that now there are a lot of more Mexican players in Europe and they're getting used to not feel at home, not playing week in, week out at the stadiums that they know. I think that has played 
a bigger role in how the intimidation factor is not the same. The toughest game to play for the Mexican national team in World Cup qualifiers still is against the USA. And I know this time is not going to be in Columbus, still going to be in Ohio, it's going to be Cincinnati. But I would say that aura, that intimidation factor is no longer as it used to be for the Mexican national team at El Cuscatlan. Yeah, it's still the U.S. men's national team on paper, both in the game, both in the venue, the El, La Casa del 2 a 0, all that stuff. It's still the most difficult game for the Mexican national team, regardless if they've won the last go-around or not. And today, I would probably say Edmonton, I would probably say Canada, where they will play against, uh, where they play Canada in, will be a much more difficult venue than El Salvador, just because of the environment, weather conditions, and also the opponent and the style of play. I think for everything that El Salvador has done, and they've been such a just breath of fresh air to CONCACAF and the way that Hugo Perez has them playing, uh, they're still a team very much in this learning curve, this learning process where a team like Canada is much more of a finished product today. Look, say what you want about uh, Cuscatlan, say what you want about Edmonton, say what you want about Cincinnati. The, the place that provides the most pressure for Mexico to play say is it. at home. It's always going to be in Azteca. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think yeah, it's yeah. the more Agreed. pressure on Mexico, Agreed. you know, the fans put more in, in Mexico than they ever will anywhere else. Oh, one quick thing here, Mal. Three points are bust, right? Uh, no matter the ghost of El Cuscatlan, El Salvador, whatever. It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's a must, three points, right? Disaster if it's anything less. Must have three points. Uh, if it, it's, it's not conditioning whether Mexico is going to make the World Cup or not. But I think for Tata Martino and his peace of mind, it's crucial to have those three points. One last nugget. Don't be surprised if Mexico plays one World Cup qualifier game outside of Estadio Azteca. Mm. Uh, keep in mind Monterrey for the next games. Keep it in mind. Ooh, okay. I could love that backdrop. Could be a very, very uh, interesting game there. All right. Mauricio Pedrosa, thanks so much for the time here on Football Americas. You can see him again, ESPN Deportes, five days a week on Ahora Nunca, where he works uh, the, the true, true work shift uh, with Hercules Gomez. Now, as always, <laughs> thank you very much for the time. All right, one more game Bye, on CONCACAF before we let, uh, or as we let Mao go here. Uh, Costa Rica against El Salvador. This one in Costa Rica Sunday. Her Costa Rica coming back to win. Uh, two to one. El Salvador actually went up ahead in the 12th minute on a Jairo Enriquez goal. And El Salvador is feeling good at this point, right? Because they just beat Panama, maybe picking up two wins back to back. But Costa Rica would respond. 52nd minute, Brian Ruiz levels it. That was the good news. Then things got CONCACAF controversial. A penalty. Uh, would eventually be converted by Celso Borges in the 58th, but uh, plenty of controversy here. Ortiz, the Costa Rican player, looked like he dove. El Salvador had a man sent off in the 85th minute post-game. Here's Hugo Perez. El segundo es un contragolpe. Teníamos la pelota, la perdimos. Contragolpe. No sé si fue penal. Es lamentable que no haya bar cuando estás compitiendo para la Copa del Mundo, pero si el árbitro lo pitó. Él lo debe haber visto quizás, pero no te puedo decir si cuánto me equivoqué o a dónde me equivoqué hasta que vea el video. All right, Herc, how big of a deal is this? The president of El Salvador was tweeting about it. Not the president of the federation, <laughs> the president of the country. I'm told, I'm told he has since deleted this tweet, which makes me wonder who tells the president of El Salvador, hey, buddy, uh, you got to delete. Uh, that tweet. Uh, what do we make of it all? Well, he's just madness. He's accusing the game of being bodies. And then over here, it's like, it's not even a penalty. He's like, you can't say it wasn't robbed. And he's like, and if you add the red card there. And how about this? He even tweeted, Mario Gonzalez over Kaylor Navas. <laughs> like, what's the president of a country doing tweeting? Blasphemy. But what's he, does he have better things to do with his time than tweet about a World Cup qualifier? But it goes to show the importance of these games. Look, he's back in his guise. What do you want the president to do? I think it's very patriotic. Maybe not okay, lie to the um, people. No VAR in CONCACAF. However, we saw VAR in the UEFA Nations League. They had it, and they still couldn't get it right in this uh, France-Spain game that we had over the weekend. Kylian Mbappé looked to be well off sides. This less about being offside and more about a rule application, really. Rule, it's more about changing the rule more so because the letter to the law, offsides, fine. But Garcia isn't making but the rule a play. Is, but the rule is anti-defender. The, yeah. ru the rule is just dumb. I, I mean, it's like keeping the, the 
the offside uh, flag up and letting play continue and then two players hurt each other like what do you want the player to do what do you want the defender to do not make a play of it because he doesn't know if this guy's on or off it's so silly it's so dumb they were benefited by this and it changed the game uh, unfortunately for Spain hey by the way real quick back to the the, the call in the Costa Rica game you it was a dive right absolutely like, I'm not, I'm not... The, the forward tries to initiate in contact with the goalkeeper is yeah. yeah without a doubt yeah it's, a, uh, it's, it's wild that, uh, that we don't have VAR, but I think that would have taken 10 seconds. One look at VAR. Not only is it not a penalty, it's a yellow card. I mean, it's like aggressive Yeah, he's simulation. trying deceiving the ref, yeah. So there it is. It ends uh, 2-1. Costa Rica picking up three big points in CONCACAF. And here is the table after five games. A reminder, we got 14 total. Uh, so we are five games in. Mexico on 11 points tops the group. U.S. and Panama tied for second. Canada right now in the playoff spot. The repechaje spot. Costa Rica and El Salvador climbing up the table. Right behind them, Honduras and Jamaica there bringing up the rear. All right, her crazy story here. Pumas and America playing in Carson. Miguel Ayun, former guest on this show, has accused one of the assistant refs in this game of racism. Now, the assistant ref, one of the assistant refs is named uh, Art Harustamian, okay? And this referee, you can see in the video of this match, Layun and this referee, uh, I would say discussing, but maybe that's not strong enough, uh, really kind of going back and forth uh, in, the, in the match. Mario Osuna, one of the midfielders for Club America, has confirmed Layun's side of the story. Uh, what do you make of it here? So. I know Miguel Ayun um, a little bit, and everything I've gathered from his persona, from just his professionalism, the type of person that he, he sets forth onto the world, he's a very serious individual, and by no means do I believe he would make something like this up. So I back Miguel Ayun in his claims for there to be an investigation here. Mm. Now, Miguel Ayun also speaks very, very well, English very well, and you know this, we've interviewed him here. So there's no misunderstanding. He heard what he heard very, very clearly, and there should be a full investigation by pro referees it's a shame that it's 2021 and we're still talking about these things this racism this xenophobia this discrimination it happens in all facets of life and we're not immune to it and it's these juegos moleros too it feels like um the the, the details are not being paid attention to in these games right we saw it in the cruz azul san jose game yeah. we saw the pitch invader uh, security clearly didn't do the job there here we've got a similar situation is it the same quality ref the same type of uh, refereeing standard that would be applied to a Liga Mekis game or a Major League Soccer game or a Leagues Cup game. Uh, I think if you're going to, again, put these games on in the United States, there has to be a baseline of quality. Uh, we're not seeing it there. To further confirm what Layun said, Tudene is saying um, that, yeah, it was basically an anti-Mexican comment. So there are now not just one, but multiple people who are corroborating Miguel Layun's story. Certainly needs some type more investigation. Liga Mekis, by the way, returning in full this coming week. You can catch a game on ESPN Plus as well as ESPN Deportes on Saturday. It'll be Monterrey against Leon. Kickoff 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Don't miss it, that game on ESPN Deportes as well. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Let's go to Major League Soccer, shall we, Herc? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the good. The Seattle Sounders, your beloved. They went 4-1 over Vancouver on the weekend, clinching a playoff spot for the 13th, Herc, the 13th straight year. Cue the tape. Here comes their latest edition of Sounders TV on Football Americas. Would you like to tell me other way, Sebi? Go ahead, Benizay. Go ahead. You can, you can twerk, my man. 13 straight. Are you trying to tell me this franchise, since its inception in Major League Soccer, has never missed a playoff date? Are you trying to tell me they are historic? Let's not just talk about Major League Soccer. In North American sports, this is a historic team. The New England Pats, no more. The San Antonio Spurs, no more. Tigres, by the way, 
Two seasons in a year, asterisks on them, very good, but that should be eight years right there. So it's pretty much the Pittsburgh Penguins and then your Seattle Sounders, a model franchise. I will never get tired of saying it, Sebi, constantly pushing the envelope in player signings, attendance, ownership, and culture, or do you have something to say about Portland? No further comment, Your Honor. Seattle five points clear of uh, second place in the West. That would be Sporting Kansas City. From the good to the bad. Not quite a model franchise here, Herc. Inter-Miami, they lost 1-0 to the New York Red Bulls on Sunday. The suddenly hot New York Red Bulls. They've gone six unbeaten. This is the fifth consecutive loss for Phil Neville's crew, Herc. Some controversy, though. Gonzalo Higuain, his second-half equalizer ruled out thanks to VAR and the offside call. It's a result that drops Inter-Miami to 11th place in the Eastern Conference and has Phil Neville very, very, very upset. Yeah, okay, so so I'm, I'm just going to go full barrel. So we've been told this week that the Atlanta goal, the Atlanta penalty shouldn't have been happened. So we were cheated in Atlanta. We then got told we should have had two penalties plus the goal in Portland. So we got cheated in Portland. We've been cheated tonight. Uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but ultimately, ultimately, something's fundamentally wrong with how referees are treating Inter Miami. Something's fundamentally wrong with how uh, referees are treating Inter Atlanta, we were told it shouldn't have been a penalty. Portland, we should have had two penalties on Robbie Robinson plus the goal. And tonight, we had a goal given, disallowed, given and then disallowed. Now, ultimately, we're playing in, in, in one of the best leagues in the world. I'm having one of the best experiences that I've ever experienced in my football career. But ultimately, I've got a dressing room. I've got a dressing room there that's asking real, real questions about the integrity of this, this league, this league in terms of decisions that we keep getting. And yes, yes, there are probably many arguments. Yes, I, I've got a question, was VAR working? I've seen the incident, it was onside. Uh, I saw the goal against Poland, it was a goal. Uh, so I've got to now start questioning because we've had our integrity question this year. We've had we've had stones thrown at us, and we've had to take it. We've had to take a lot of absolute this season from a lot of people. We've had to accept it because that's what do when you do wrong, you have to accept that criticism. You get on with it, and we've done that. We've not moaned, and we've 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 kept our we've kept our head below the parapet because you, sometimes in life you've got to accept the criticism. I can't accept this. I've got to defend my football club against something that's unjust something that's unjust and wrong and i feel as if i feel as if we're being cheated now i feel as if we're being cheated oh herc nothing like a coach standing up for his club what do you think is phil neville's inner miami getting cheated Oh my God, why didn't I think of that? They're, they are being cheated. That's why they've got a league low 25 goals with the most expensive offensive player in the league. That's why they've only won five games at home all year. And that's why, of course, they had to go out and get five DPs. Talk about their integrity has been questioned, has been, no, 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 my man. You got caught red-handed. This is something that happens all over the world in the best leagues in the world. Not Major League Soccer, like you said. Don't sell the people that, by the way. Uh, integrity being questioned? Your best friend gave you a job with no experience. I do not know where he has the stones to come away and say they are being mistreated. They are being cheated. If anybody should mm -hmm. not be able to throw stones or to, or to throw this type of argument, yes, it's you, Phil Neville. Honestly, like, it's one thing to me if he just comes out and clubs the officials, right? Or, or clubs the VAR system. I, I think that's totally fine, fair. We've seen that a million times. To me, it's a whole nother discussion now that he's, to me, called in to, into question the integrity of the league. Like, that's a whole nother jump to say we're being mistreated. Almost like there's a conspiracy theory against us. Because let's be honest, Herc. If there is one team that Major League Soccer would love to have doing well. It would be Inter-Miami. If ever there's going to be a team that's going to get breaks in this league, it's going to be Inter-Miami. Nobody wants this team to do better than the league itself. Uh, one more point on this thing, on Inter-Miami and, and, and Phil Neville. He's got to get fined. He's got to get suspended. This is, this is too much. Or is that too harsh? No, I'm no, not, you're absolutely right. He, he has to because you can't criticize the officials. If you get fined for officials. complaining about officials, Correct. you call into question Correct. the integrity of the league, yeah. you better not just get fined. I, there better be something I, else. I, I love how you took a pause, you wrote down what you need to write down, and then you X'd it out, and then you said he's got to get fined. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs>
Oh. All right, to the ugly. And this might be me, me just being mean, Hurt, but I do think this is ugly. And that's the fact that Major League Soccer is playing these games during an international break. We are at the crunch time of the season. Huge games for playoff implications. And you're playing these games without the league's, in theory, biggest stars. Is this the way to do business? <sighs> not, not, not for your fans. It's a huge disjustice, a disservice to your players. I mean, who pays attention to these games during a FIFA fixture date in a serious, proper footballing culture? Nobody. This is why, this is why U.S. Soccer, Major League Soccer should try at least aligning itself in a way where these games don't happen. I understand why they're happening now. I understand that they prioritize tournaments like CCL, like Campeones Cup, like Lee's Cup, uh, these, these, these business ventures that they think they need to operate. But there's going to come a time where there will be no place for games during fi FIFA fixture date windows. And it is ugly. It's ugly for the fans. It's ugly for the players who have to participate. And it's also ugly for, you know, some of these national team players who have to go and leave their clubs because they'd like to be involved in this postseason, I guess, uh, destiny talk as well. I mean, I just look at it from a coach's standpoint. You're supposed to make the playoffs, and these games are decisive. Like, we know how close the conference standings are and, and what a win can mean in terms of finishing, you know, somewhere between ninth and fifth. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what, what we're playing for right now at this point of the season. You're a coach, and you don't have your, your biggest tools at your disposal? Come on. I mean, for the fans, it's not a complete product. For the coaches, it's not a complete product. You know, if we're going to call into validity, into question the validity of anything, it's not Phil Neville complaining. It's these games and how they impact the playoff race. Uh, we got what? We got MLS back on TV Sunday, right, Herc? Next That's right. Sunday? There we go. The Hudson River Derby. Is that New what York it's called? Bulls, New York City FC, New York Derby. You can call it whatever you want, I guess. What do you call it? Uh, what do you call it over there on ESPN the 4th? Is you calling this one? I, I, am I calling that one? I don't know. I don't even know what schedule. I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> It's on ESPN and ESPN Deportes then on Sunday. Hey, how about this story, Herc? Axel K, 13-year-old, makes his debut in the USL for the Real Monarchs. He is now the youngest pro debutante, not in American soccer history, in American sports history. Oh, goodbye, Freddie Adu. I mean, that used to be Freddie's record, right? Youngest player to appear in a pro. Okay, he's 13 years old. My freshman year of high school, I was 14 years old. Uh, I was 4'11", 83 pounds. Woo. This, this, this kid. I mean, future, future striker here, future national team. He's already 13 years old. Look, look how big he is. That's insane yep. to me. What do they feed this? I, I, I repeat, what do they feed these kids in USL? So you mentioned Freddie Adu. Freddie still holds the Major League Soccer record oh, okay. for youngest player ever. But he did that at 14 years old and 306 days. This kid's 13-year-old in nine months. I wouldn't be surprised if he breaks Freddie's record when it's all said and done, especially with a team like RSL, who, as we know, likes to play the kids. Here they're taking play the kids to a uh, whole nother level. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. To the National Women's Soccer League, Herc. End of the regular season. Huge games Ooh. to the playoff here. Washington Spear racing Louisville. Look at that pass from Trinity Rodman. For, for those of you who thought Trinity Rodman was just wheels, what a delicious ball. Ridiculous type of service. And then how about the second one here? Yeah. Penalty. Now Andy Sullivan steps up to convert. That makes it 2-0 uh, to the spear. But you're right. Uh, Ashley Hatch scored that first goal. She would actually, Herc, score the third goal for the spear as well. And it is Rodman setting it up again. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can't do this. Right, if you're going to play back to the goalkeeper, you got to play with some pace outside the post. She does not do that. Right back down her throw. And guess what? Pocket picked. Trinity Rodman again, the second helping. Big three points for the Spirit as they move into the playoff position. Speaking of 
kind of those last playoff spots. Orlando, Gotham, Chicago, all in there battling. Orlando Pride and Gotham FC uh, playing on Saturday. Gaetan Tinet, the French international, with some golazos in the third and 47th minute, Herc. Yeah, the first one aided by a deflection. The second one, just a banger. Uses the ball over that wall. Keeper can't do anything. A little bit of movement makes it difficult, but a banger. So Gotham actually made it three in the 50th minute. U.S. International Midge Purse finishing things off. And you thought, okay, this is a blowout. Game over. Gotham in charge. And to Gotham's credit, with Carly Lloyd making the, uh, the setup play here, they've been playing very, very well of late, trying to get themselves into the playoff positions. But from there, Herc, an Orlando rally. Erica Timrak here in the 84th. Ooh, I'd love to say deflection. There's a little bit of movement. But the goalkeeper has to do better. Tries catching it into her own net. Watch this. A little bit of a deflection there. A lot of movement. Tries catching it. No good. Goal. Five minutes later, Marta, cool as you like, ah. in the 89th, makes it 3-2. to two. So we got some drama now. Ala Moises Munoz, Ashlyn Harris is going to get a shot here at a winner, Herc. No! <laughs> you got to bang that. She went in step with the right foot. It's left foot laces. You got to rip it. She did not. Game over. Goalie in the box. Nearly had the uh, dramatic finish there for a tie. Uh, anyway, here's what the NWSL standings look like. A reminder, this year, the first time, six of the ten teams will go to the playoffs. The top two seeds will get a bye right now. No question about who that'll be. Uh, Portland Thorns and O.L. Ray running away with things atop the table. Those two separated by just one point in the Pacific Northwest. It is, Herc. One more thing before we get out of here. You got CONCACAF, which shows you that a good you got CONCACAF can come from anywhere. This is a Division Three soccer. Out of the, the way, referee please. here. Can you get out of the way? Out of the out of the way. Uh, I don't condone violence. I hope the referee is okay. But wow, come on, come on. Man, Rev looks like he took it uh, pretty rough there, right off the head. I hope he's all right. Goodness. I'll tell you what, I play Division Three soccer, Herc. Sometimes, you know, we're not Division One. You know, maybe the pass doesn't go exactly where you want. There's it a reason the you're not Division One. Hey, hey, what are you going to say? Down, what are you going to do? Kidding. Come all on. All right, so we are uh, back on Thursday with all the reaction from uh, all the CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. I'll be flying in hot from Columbus as the uh, United States takes on Costa Rica. For Herc, I'm Seb. We'll see you in a couple days.